and welcome to So Farscape. <laughs> Fun-filled Farscape fan cast by a bourbon fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And, and this, this is, is the story, story So Farscape. Farscape. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know. So we just, I mean, we can hear the music now. So now we're starting every episode by just doing little dances in yes. our chairs. And it's actually a really fun way to start the show. So the show's episode is 312 Meltdown this week. And yeah. boy, what an episode is it. <laughs> I have it written down that as you walked away from this episode, you just said, wow. <laughs> <laughs> they must have had so much fun doing this. Right? Yeah. It was, uh ugh. There's nothing quite so depressing and in, in theatre as rehearsing a comedy. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. Because it's fun, and then it's work, and then it's and then you're so far away from it being fun. And I, I don't know, it might cross over again, like going back into funny. Yes, like it's an interference pattern where sometimes you get right. hot spots yes. and cold spots in the microwave. <laughs> I can so imagine that. Uh, Claudia Black described it as like renting a boyfriend for a week. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they had to do a lot of those takes again and again because one of them couldn't keep it straight. Yes, and it required a lot of... I mean, up to, oh, yes, by the way, we're talking about Meltdown, Season 3, Episode 12. I just Gosh. Said I said that. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, the mist must be affected <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, yes, we have quite a few synopses from our listeners. Oh, yeah, they're a horny bunch, those Farscape fans. I've only read the one that we read at the end of last episode. Uh, oh, yes, and that's the clever the, synopsis. And, and, yes, and the other ones are still new to me. So let's have a bash at those. Jenna says, things get spicy when the crew goes crackers, teaching Talon about the danger of too much sun exposure, but at least Aaron gets plenty of vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the ghosts of hell and heaven, Icarus's attempts are less than seven. A Bannock becomes queen, so much sexy steam and horniness dialed up to eleven. Thanks, Rick from the Delta Quadrant. Rick from the Delta Quadrant's back. That was a brilliant uh, a little limerick. Uh, limerick maybe. Yes, well, yeah. yeah. All right. Shakespearean tragedy as our crew experience some vices, wrath, lust, gluttony, and pride. Mm. But only the half-blind will lead as a moth to a flame from the pilot's den. Thank you, Dreamscape. Also very poetic. Yes. A siren calls for Talon from inside a burning star. Meanwhile, Stark becomes Talon's pirate. Pilot. And the crew must face off against a lava man. Thanks, Billy Roberts. He'd actually make a very good pirate. Yes, he He's would. got the eye patch. And he's got the, the coat for it now, I noticed. That coat is really working for it me does, now. It yeah. does, yeah. Uh, and like Odyssey crossing the sea, the crew has to rush to keep the ship from being drawn into a star, featuring a special siren song, sensual stimulants, superfluous sections of the ship, and a smorgasbord <laughs> of salty snacks. Thank you, Richard Wookie. Love the alliteration there. Oh, a son sings a song, capital uh, S, yes. yeah, <laughs> while another son is into oral healing. Oy. Earthman is standing at attention. The lavas a many splendid thing, they say. Oh, I like that. Thanks, Matthew B. Yes, the, the cannon was primed, I believe. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the manual priming of the cannon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really, really horny one, because everyone, or at least John and Aaron, are all over each other. Yes. This is one of those rare cases that Claudio Black described where normally during rehearsals, if there's a, if there's a kiss, yeah. then everybody like walks through the lines, gets into position, and then just says, and then kiss. All right. right? Or, or then the crew, in order to like block out a shot, will go, and now please, please assume the kissing position. But you don't actually do it because you're not <laughs> right. spending that energy. No. But for something like this, where like it was really kind of important to sort of get the energy, mm -hmm. uh, they did kiss during rehearsals. Okay. To the point where, like, previously, when there was actual kissing on set, like, 
everyone on crew would find an excuse to, to be on just set. Look, oh, right. Yeah, right? yeah. And now they sort of got bored and wandered away <laughs> because it was happening so much. Well, I, I can almost imagine that like, they'd politely offer to like, just look the other way. I mean, obviously not the camera and dolly operator, but, you know, everybody else. Inter- you know... How would you feel about that as an actor? You're sort of trained to... Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Right, uh, uh, make yourself vulnerable. Like, actually, Paul Goddard, Stark, talked about that. In one of the chats on the uh, uh, sci-fi message board, he talked about how he got to dial up his madness. Actually, what you noticed, yeah. that he started off with feigned madness and then like he became a little bit more restrained. And then over the course of season three, he, he sort of became manic again. And part of that was character choices, but part of that was also... Paul Goddard sort of finding his his comfort level. Ben Browder was a great encourager for mm-hmm. just how high it could go. And shortly before this episode was the first time that he watched Crackers Don't Matter. Yeah. And then realized, oh, yeah, you can go nuts on this show. <laughs> okay, I'll do that then. I mean, yes, he did. I, I, I loved him in this episode. <laughs> right. So, yeah. But we start... We start with a flashback opening, and yeah. it's, it's a fantastic fake-out. <laughs> okay. Uh, Tell me how it was for you. Okay, so first of all, my theory of Crace's emotional mood can still be read by his hair is still holding strong. Oh, yes, absolutely. He's doing his wonderful, wide-eyed, mad-haired negotiation assault, stating his terms to Aaron's mother. Uh, Yes, a flashback to Relativity. Right, yeah. Where he was left behind to execute her while uh, John took Aaron back to Talon. Betraying Moya, the crew, Talon and everybody, only for him to get back into the Peacekeeper force. I really liked how this was set up. Because he shot around Zalax and she proposed, oh, so uh, you want me to let you go So and then tell them that you're dead? And he flips around. You forget who is in charge here. You're not just taking the terms, yes. Yeah. I want you to tell High Command that I will deliver the uh, uh, escaped fugitives and Talon. In return for being reinstated in my previous position. Yeah. Yeah. And then it gets a great, well, it's not a fourth wall break, but well, it kind of is, of him staring straight into the camera and going like, you really think that's how it went, John? (laughs) (laughs) And we're on Talon's command because this is... A conversation that but John and Chris have been having. We see him go mad captain later. It's already a little bit on him here, I suppose, because he still considers himself Talon's captain. And yes. therefore everybody else on board is still supposed to do what he says. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And the gas only makes that come well, out more, I think. I, I think you hit on a nuance. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want to be a peacekeeper. He does want to be a captain. Yes. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because we uh, uh, we find ourselves still in a bit of dire straits. The uh, Talon hasn't fully recovered from the uh, the Peacekeeper Retrieval Squad's attack. And then Krace starts wigging out because he and Talon are noticing something, something strange. Yes, uh, something he's getting through the hand of friendship. And Talon is getting drawn into a sun. He's receiving a signal which he has to respond to. And he starts flying into the corona of the sun. Yeah. A sun. It was interesting how this was uh, was built up because at first, like, they have no idea what's happening. And mm-hmm. then Stark comes in and he says, I can feel it. Yes. Right? It's happening in real time. It was a great little sort of panic moment. And yes, they look out the window and there's a big frilling sun. Boom, to credits. And we continue exactly where we left off. It's a beautiful shot of a, a very active and small star, it looks like. If the, you know, if those sort of vents and arcs you can't really tell the scale which they're dealing with. You know, it's 
spaceships in orbit around planets or suns oh, in I mean, this case. The sort of curvature of the sun's surface yeah. versus like the arcs and plumes over it. It seems like oh. the, those plumes seem a lot bigger. I see what you mean. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Rather mm-hmm. than uh, uh, versus how they look on Earth. They can get pretty big, but yeah. Everybody's lit by the orange sun. It's actually great. The sort of intense light blasting through the uh, view screen. Very much like the beginning of Farscape when uh, everything in space was also lit in orange. You know, those earlier oh, episodes. Oh, yes. It's an ochre one. Yeah. yeah. But yes, there's some problems. Talon manages to like stop himself from diving straight on in and manages to hold position. Still in the corona of the sun. Man, Talon is a beautiful ship. Yes. The crew uh, splits up to go and investigate what's what's working, what's not. Yes. There's a damage assessment, so we see one of one of Talon's little scuttlebots riding through oh, interesting floor mist. Yes. That John and Aaron seem to uh, try to like don't seem to notice as they approach. Oh, Aaron names it. She she actually knows like the electrical it systems. It was some sort of I think it was was it a weapon control node or something? Because John shoots it uh, out, doesn't he? Oh yes, guidance control node. Yeah, that's the one. Oh. John actually shoots it out, and apparently we are still. I mean, this is like filmed in like early the noughties, but apparently we're still not over the trope of having lit light snakes running out of compartments to signify electronic components in spaceships. Hey, this is sort of a choice that Farscape has made. When there's supposed to be something complicated, you just put a little blinky light on it, and Mm -hmm. that's it. Right? All their controls are just their panels with just little blinky lights, and they pretend that it's really complicated. (laughs) They're, you know, their scanning devices, it's just got some blanky lights. Yeah. And you just... Like you can accept it or you don't. Okay, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll get this off my chest now. Then I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll, no, I'll complain. F- I'll complain about this now, and I won't mention it again during the rest of the episode. Fair, but everything on the inside of Talon in this episode really felt like the draconian ship of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. You know, it's all in red. It's all draped with shiny, stretchy fabrics, especially the pilot den as well. That was just like it could have been the boudoir of the princess. You know, just oh, done up. Oh, very good. <laughs> I kind of like that, actually. I mean, do you consider that, like, is that a compliment? Because it can be. Well, it was more like an interesting uh, choice to go back, like, for something that was at that point 30 years old. It kind of felt to me that they went back to, like, yeah, the late 70s sci-fi era for the interior of Talon here. That's interesting, because, like... Budgetarily, this must have been a very difficult season to shoot. Mm. Like you have two major sets, uh, set, uh, sets, sets of sets. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Okay, mm-hmm. Talon and Moya, and you have to have them standing. But you're only ever going to use one for a given episode while mm-hmm. they're switching back and forth. Although in this case, uh, the vestigial pilot den yeah. uh, that we see that was just a redress of Moya's pilot's no, den. No, actually, oh yes, you can see the sort of. I don't know. It seemed uh, a lot smaller, but I guess I they got just that moved the, as well. the set pieces in uh, closer to each other. But that's what you get when you light it, because that, it is actually a very small set. Okay. Uh, a, a pilot's den. It's uh, also, like, famously unair conditioned. Oh, dear. Yeah. That doesn't sound like fun. Well, I believe the original location of the pilot's den, when they, when they were still shooting at uh, Fox Studios, was also where Keanu Reeves did his kung fu rehearsals for... Oh. Uh, yeah. Cool, right? I mean, I remember uh, Gigi Edgeley talking about uh, sneaking out of the set to have a, a sneaky Siggy with uh, Keanu Reeves at one point. <laughs> Which the makeup ladies certainly didn't appreciate well, because no. they had to retouch up those lips. Yeah. Speaking of lips. Yes. Uh, it, it quickly starts going uh, amorous. Uh, John hurts his finger a little bit and Aaron puts a little kiss on it. 
And they are quickly starting, yeah, they are all over each other. I mean, even at the beginning, I already noticed this. Like, it's one of my first notes, at, even at first before the gas yes. starts coming out on the bridge. They're like almost on top of each other. They're like yeah, they're very, very close, uh, very close contact, but not quite as much as it turns later on in the episode. But that's what I'm saying. Every, everything that the gas seems to do seems to be enhancing things that people are already seeing and doing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. With maybe the exception of Stark? I would say even Stark goes like into overdrive for his panic ability. Right, but he also gets like an interesting plotline that may be driving those emotions. Right. Yeah. But it's yeah, it could still do the same thing. Uh, I like that. I hadn't really observed that, but you're absolutely right. They were already pawing at each other yeah. on the command. They're more subdued, but uh, yeah. But then they get here and they crack open a fresh can of innuendo and pour it over themselves. Oh, yes. They're all over each other like horny teenagers. Well, at least some people are smiling around here these days. Yeah, I know. It suits your face. I was talking about you. Me? I'm not smiling. Yes, you are. Uh, Distracting each other, she stands up to expose her midriff. Stop distracting me. I'm distracting you. Yes, you are always distracting me. Well, then you are easily distracted. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm not. Oh, really? Yes, and he's distracted even more. And she, she, oops, drops a screwdriver to pick it up. Yeah. Okay, that's a little distracting. And it's always the jazz playing when they like have these moments. <gasps> Suddenly, there's a saxophone <laughs> there on board. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like watching Cowboy Bebop instead of like. Uh, <laughs> I know. Then suddenly you get this twang of a stand-up bass and a saxophone player sort of dusts his instrument off. Oh, my time has come! Finally. These jeeps are distracting to look at. There's pawing. Obviously, everyone has leather pants and they've they've got lots of little straps that they're tugging at each other. Yes. Butt smack. (laughs) You said pay attention to the work. First butt smack. Uh, Yep. So what's happening is that, like, uh, Talon's dip into the sun has like done him some damage, and he is now oozing this gas out. I, I can't remember what Very the name good. of it was. Drexim. It Drexim, yes. Drexim. And that seems to be having this effect on people. It's like John describes it as adrenaline for uh, leviathans. Yeah. Which activates their fight or flight response, or probably yeah, the it's fight. A, yeah, it's a powerful stimulant. Yeah. Well, and the, ha- the three Fs. And it's, yes. Fight, flight, and mating. mating. Yes. <laughs> Or in the case of red pandas, flailing. Yes, there's that one too. Uh, And they even notice that, which I'd like, that while they're about to make out, then they realize, wait, this isn't us. We're usually better at our jobs than this. That's when they notice that they're being affected by this mist. They point one of the scanny things, which is just a stick with some lights on. Yes. And that's fine. That's okay. Yes. John wanders over to the bridge to go inform Grace that uh, this is going on, but notices that it's the same is happening here. And Grace was the one who was like making the detectors uh, thing. Hey, Grace, Talon is leaking some kind of. Oh, I see you got it in here too. This yeah. is not the bridge. This is that room that we don't know what it is. Oh, all right. Yes. Right. The bridge is all in all in red. It, and might, this- it might just be the galley or whatever it is. Also, no, because that's where that's where Rigel is at this moment. Oh, yes. He's being affected yes. by the mist. We are told that like it, it has a different effect on various people. But the effect should be manageable. Should be manageable. Look, Chris, before uh, we all go crackers, hey, baby, how you doing? Rigel has just gone off eating. Stark has gone off. Uh, just, just gone off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he is wandering around and he's hearing voices. Oh, the siren song. Can you hear me? 
Yes. What were you thinking at this point? Oh, I th- I was still thinking it might actually be Talon, like the, what uh, Stark really? himself is saying. Right. But I was figuring it probably wasn't because it's a very female voice. And I mean, they could have yeah. made that choice to give Talon a female voice, but it well, seems like interesting. it seems unlikely. I mean, it, they could have, but I don't think they would have. So Stark goes wandering off through corridors and finds a new place that we haven't seen before, which yeah. is the vestigial pilot's den, as it turns out, where this ghostly appearance is coming, uh, is hovering around, coalescing out of smoke, turning into this woman who I thought looked a lot like Delenn from Babylon 5. Oh, good point. It's the high forehead. And, it's the, yeah, yeah. the bold face and intense eyes. Yes, especially towards the end of the episode. Like, here not so much, but later on, right at the end, I'm like, oh, this almost looks like the Len when the hair is swept back a little bit more. And the uh, the eyebrows are covered as well. Oh, yes. Uh, and she is uh, surprised that Stark can see her. Please! Oh, who are you? You can see me. Surprised, delighted. Because apparently she has been, like, through many Leviathans who have been here and they've all perished and gone. And Talon has been... Lured in by a siren star, I believe. She's the one who calls it that. Yes, very good. Or is it she who does that, or is it the other one? No, it's the other guy who calls it the siren Mook star. Willis. Yes. yes, but she also warns of the danger. She's not, not as, as specific. Hey, how much were you able to keep up with the sort of plot of the episode? Like, were you? did you find yourself confused at any point? Because I remember no. that. Oh, okay. I think I, I think I managed to hold on to the plot quite well. So I, th- I was thinking, like, okay, so after she shows up uh, and tells Stark that, like, they're in danger and that she's been trapped here and he's the first that one that we can see, then on the bridge, or is it the, the bridge? Or is it still this, the is, this is the command. Yeah, this is the command, because yeah. it's got the, the, the turrets. The, the walls yeah. are red, it's got the turrets, yeah. and you've got the, yeah. This uh, red guy shows up, Lava Boy, as I believe John uh, calls him. I am Aquilus. You are in great danger and that they should immediately leave with their escape pods. So this is Moo Quillis, uh-huh. and this makeup is one that Dave Elsie was very pleased with. Yes. And once again, very disappointed in the execution because you, you can very rarely see it. This application actually has lots of little lights in it, mm-hmm. con- continuing with the theme, but they're set in acrylic. And so he wanted to go for, do you know those electric space heaters that look like a coal fire? Yeah. That have, like, lights in them. Oh, and that shimmering effect. Yes, the sort of pulsating and, uh-huh. like, shining through. And he talked about in the uh, Creatures of Farscape book, thank you to our Patreon painters, that he was always fascinated by those as a child, and so was I. My granny had one of those. Oh, yes. And so, like, he made this makeup, and he showed it to the director and said, okay, well, you can't put too much light on them because otherwise you can't see the lights inside. And so what do they do when they he shows up? They put a big, blood orange light shining in through the window exactly. on top of him. So did you notice any of the sort of glowing in his face? I noticed that, like, he seemed to be lit up from the inside in certain oh, shots. It didn't notice that shimmering effect, but... Uh, go and grab the Creatures of Farscape book so you can see. Yeah. Because uh, it's got two pictures in it, and one of them is with the lights on, and one of them is with the lights off... Oh, no, 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 you can't see that one. Oh, no, gosh, there's a lot of pages here that you can't see. Oh, hello, young Scorpius. Here we go. Oh, We get a lot better look of that he sort of looks like, yeah, oh, yes. holes. Okay, yeah, that's okay. So a lot of what I thought was orange light is just like the orange parts under his... So basically he looks like cracked lava. Yes, so he looks like, like like lava, which is still breaking open and you can still see the red glow from the actual molten rock underneath. But a lot of what I saw in the episode was then just like 
orange light from the sun yeah, reflecting yeah. off those bits, making them stand out even more. So I think I still got a little bit of the effect, but yeah, not the glowing coaly things that uh, he seems to have on his eyebrows. And yes, oh, sorry. No, 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 sorry. No like, swiping. <laughs> this is uh, handing your iPhone to your mother rules. No <laughs> swiping. <laughs> so yes. So here I am thinking we, we get a little back and forth between this, the two scenes uh, on the bridge and in the pilot's den. Uh, and here I'm thinking like, okay, this is going to be like the classic fake out where, you know, you have the damsel in distress and the uh, evil right. alien and it's going to be the other way around. She is actually the siren trying to lure them in. And because he looks demonic. Exactly. That's like, I thought it was going to be a fake out like that. But no, they play it straight. Yeah, right. Now... When it's described as a siren, do you think that Sierjna or was the siren? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it wasn't just me because I caught that as well. Yeah. Like she actually, she looks like a siren, like you imagine. She's attractive and and ethereal. Both of them just sort of teleport onto the ship, but through different means. Like when Stark asks Sierjna, "How did you get here?" She said, "I canished," and then she just moves on. Yeah. Literally, I canished. Uh, <laughs> And Muquillus says that his species can exist partially as energy, so he transmuted. I transmuted. Out of energy, yeah. He, he, it's like this hellish effect, almost like he's appearing out of hellfire, usually where there's a door for some reason. but He's also trailing smoke out of the back of his head mm. and his collar. I noticed that, especially in the later shots, yes. Which is hard to see because there's already a lot of, like, there's Drexim vapor, there's the sort yeah, of coolant vents. The smoke machines were doing overtime in this episode. <laughs> But yes, Muquillus warns them that they're in danger, that their ship is being lured by a siren star and they must escape. He asks a lot of questions which the crew dodge. Like, yes. Is this a Leviathan? Yeah, who's asking? <laughs> yes. To the point where Crace orders him to leave, and when he doesn't, opens fire. Yep. He and actually starts shooting at him, gets talent to start shooting at him as well. And this is where we, the first time we see Crace doing his, like, I'm the captain here. Yes, exactly. I am your captain. Which John and Aaron don't really seem to notice because... They, they only have eyes for each other. They're in the background. Like, she sort of covered him with her body as a sort of protection. And uh -huh. then he started fondling her again. And they're just... <laughs> and then they got distracted. They're it's just like, teenage dry humping. I believe I described it uh, as like they're both on ecstasy in this episode ah. when we were talking... <laughs> Not an experience that I've had firsthand, but oh. I have been in the company of people who were really enjoying their experience. And boy, howdy, did they really enjoy that experience. <laughs> I mean, that's how they're acting towards each other. It's like they're, they're actually saying I love you to each other very openly. And yeah. that's the lovey-dovey feeling, that ecstasy. It makes it much easier and more comfortable to say those things and damned with the consequences. Did you notice when they say that to each other? Um by the way, they were at the, at the console working on stuff. It, it was a bit later on, but it was specifically uh. in response to their competence. Oh, yes. Right? Aaron and John both made the decision, like, we have to fix this. This is who we are. Mm -hmm. And that's when he says to her that he, that he loves her, because that's actually kind of an, awesome, an yes. awesome moment to choose. In the middle of all, all this horniness, your ability to resist it, the... Bad mist. Bad mist, the... Naughty mist. Naughty, Naughty mist. <laughs> so, yes, Rigel, in the meantime, is having less fun. Oh, yeah. Because he is, like, stuffing himself. He is eating, he's eating, he's overeating, and he is not having a good time, despite usually when he's eating. Stark wanders on in, and it's quite a fun scene, because yes. Stark is talking to uh, Shishna, and I just wrote it down phonetically. Yep. <laughs> I'm curious how you wrote that down. S-I-E-R-S-N-A. Oh, 
The the second S is a J, Siergna, but uh, okay. remarkable. And yes, uh, he's proving to her that Stark is the only one who can see and talk her and feel her. Yeah. And Rigel just thinks that Stark's gone off the deep end even more than normal. Yeah. Because he's, like, as he later, descri- much. he later describes it as having a conversation with a wall. Yep. Which nobody else, like, I love nobody else ever figures out this side plot. Oh, I guess not, no. Right, this is just a Stark original <laughs> that nobody else gets to enjoy. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, Rigel gets told about it, but none of the others even, yeah, see or hear about her. Rigel doesn't care. Yeah. They never well, arrive. No, of course, Rigel doesn't. <laughs> uh, because she's dead. Yes. Is what he wants to convey to her. Like, he was part of a crew that was trapped by Muquillus, and mm-hmm. uh, he's kept her here as a prisoner. And now that someone can see her, he can help her rematerialize and... and and Stark's like, I can only help you move on to the next world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she's like, sorry, you're already dead. Which distresses her for a little bit. Gosh, uh, yeah. But Muquillus shows up. Yeah, Stark is very pr- fiercely protective towards uh, Shirsnath uh, f- uh, for this. He's like, literally imp- interposes himself between uh, Stark and uh, Muquillus. And this is the point where the costume department told Dave Elsie, hey... His face is really interesting, but the rest of his costumes doesn't really match. Mm-hmm. And so overnight, they sculpted prosthetics for his hands. Yeah. And then after this, anytime we see Muquillus, he becomes super Shakespearean. And he's, because his hands have these glowing nails in them yes. that he loved. And so suddenly he became super, like a super gesticulator. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> this ship is doomed. Like all the others, it will be drawn into the sun, and all on board will perish. Oh, John and Aaron, they still got their hands all over each other. They're trying to make the repairs work. Oh, yes, no, I like this one. Where they're, they're focusing on the repairs that they have to make. And Okay, we're going to do this before we do anything else. We've got to fix it. Oh. Are, you, are you close? Re- yeah. I'm really close. Close? Nearly there. God, I love you. I love you too. Tell me when you're done. I'm nearly done. Tell me when you're finishing. No. Yeah? Yes? Almost. Yeah. Last one. Finish. (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) And as soon as they finish, boom, they jump onto each other. Unfortunately, they don't get to enjoy that moment for very long. I know. There's always a crisis. There is more stress going on. There's a bit of a walk and talk between Stark and Siergna in the hallway. And the only reason that I think that's remarkable is because Siergna is continually lit in sort of blue-purple. Yes. Fairly early on, I've got this episode written down as Red versus Blue. Oh, very good. Where we have uh, Siergna versus Muquillis. Like, one of them is, yeah, always blue and all the other ones always red. Yeah. So even though the environment is lit in red, they must have had someone with a light next to the cameraman mm-hmm. walking around and keeping Siergna in the blues. I guess so, yeah. Uh, she seems to be lit from above, mostly. So, yeah, it's just overhead uh, dollies, which they will be putting to good use later on oh, in the episode. Oh, good point. So there's, like, between Mukulis and Siergna, like, Siergna tells Stark that Mukulis is, like, keeping her and wants her, I guess he's in love with her, or he just wants yeah. to keep her as a companion, and that's why he's not letting her go. As we learn later, it, like, uh, Stark can't even help her pass on to the next world because that's being blocked by something that Mukulis is doing. Yes, which he explains gesticulating with his new <laughs> neon lead gloves. <laughs> But in order to help them, Siergna encourages Stark 
to help Talon escape the lure of the Siren Star. Stark uh, and Shershna go back into the pilot's den. Where he wants to use some of these controls, but instead... He gets snagged by the cables. Yeah. And, uh, Basically, it turns into that scene from Beetlejuice where everybody's singing the Banana Boat song and for the rest of the episode, Stark is just kind of floating around in the air. I just like almost expect him to like break out singing. Deo! <laughs> Deo! Uh, as he is basically, yeah, uh, uh, bonds with Talon. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, is this going to be a thing? I am now Talon's pilot. What do you mean you're Talon's pilot? Talon doesn't have a pilot. He does now. I've bonded with him, formed a neural link, joined with him in the den. What den? Can't speak now. What were you thinking? Well, it could have been. I don't think they would have made it a thing, though, just because of the way he's floating around and being held up with the cables. I couldn't really imagine them, like, making Stark a permanent uh, ah. fixture in uh, Talon, so... It looked... Really cool. It was. Though. It did. I'm. I'm not giving it enough credit. Oh, it was just like something that it, uh, reminded me of, especially uh, on in par with the gesticulating. I mean, every time we see a shot of Stark, he is kind of like being jostled around, probably on the camera boom or something where they have him oh, mount- yeah. have him mounted on. He's constantly floating around. It's like he's very dynamic. It's like the Baron Harkonnen uh, floating around in his gravity harness. <laughs> that is how it looks. Like He doesn't look like he's standing on anything. No, no, he's not. No. You see these cables hanging off of his yeah. legs that uh, Talon has used to bond with him. And now he is Talon. Kreis loses his connection. His, uh, the hand of friendship goes, goes Dead. slack. Yes, as do all the other controls. And no one can do anything. He's now in, uh, in charge. And with Stark's help... Talon is able to resist the siren song and fly away. But as he does yeah. so, we lose Sierschna. Yeah. yeah, who disappears, much to Stark's dismay, uh, who then immediately decides to turn the ship around and fly back into the sun. Everybody gets to uh, enjoy their various stresses. Star- uh, Kreis becomes even more obsessed with people following his uh, orders. His orders. Yes. Stark is a mutineer. John and Aaron, they struggle to... <laughs> God. I'm looking at these jeeps. They're really distracting. They're such beautiful people in such tight black leather. There's a lot of nice uh, sh- shots of Ben Browder's butt in that uh, in this particular scene. Oh yeah, she gets in a, a butt smack as well oh, this yeah. time. Absolutely. Because what's uh, what's happening is that John and Aaron are trying to sever Stark's control mm-hmm. while Kreis goes to the pilot's den to try and sever the connection there. Yes. So this is where they shoot out the guidance uh, control node. Oh, yes, that happens here, yes. All right, to prevent Stark from uh, approaching any further. Stark sends a little DRD. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well. To mess things up, yeah. Which they have to uh, defend themselves against. And so now they're just sitting there watching these hallways, protecting this damaged node yeah, so the can't DRDs can't... they can't leave so that, uh, because then the DRDs will repair it. So they're just like, well, we've got some time to kill. She straddles him because then she can still look over his head yes. and keep... Crace, <laughs> in the meantime, realises that he's not getting into the uh, pilot den uh, and goes find Rigel. Yes, whom, I mean... Oh, is yes, miserable. I, was, I was going to say, uh, like, I don't even know why he wanted Rigel, but yet he wants Rigel because he's small enough to fit through the ducts yeah. and enter the pilot's den. I need your help, slug. Please let me eat that little piece, please. Now you listen to me. Talon has sealed all the entrances to his den. But maybe you, being so small, can slip through a ventilation duct. 
Look at me. Look at my stomachs. I'm not slipping through any ducts. You look at my stomach. <laughs> but he's miserable. Yeah, he wants to eat more, but he's like completely full. And this is another scene where Crace goes completely, I'm the captain. Yeah. Uh, Even draws his, yeah, yeah. Pokes uh, uh, Rigel with his gun. Even takes a pot shot at him when uh, Rigel leaves. Well, leaves, he does bite Crace on the ear. Oh, this is true. He says, come here, come here, I've got a secret. Yeah. And then... And I, mean, I he was just kind of expected that he was going to throw up all over Crace. I mean, we covered in goop again. But... Or another helium fart, which oh, he's been doing Oh, that would have been, yes. But no, well, he instead actually... he has himself a little snack, a high-protein... He, he was actually kind enough to warn Stark away from the helium fart that was still floating around when he came in the first oh, time. Oh, that's thoughtful. Yeah, he's like, oh, you might not want to get any closer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, you're one of those high oxygen species. This is, uh, <laughs> this is not a room for you. <laughs> hey, this whole thing with Sierjna and yeah. Aquilus and Stark—it's really gothic, mm-hmm. but it's it's sort of visually it's like pearlescent gothic. It's like a rock opera, literally. Yes. In the case of Aquilus, okay, yeah, I see where that's, where you're coming from. Yeah, it's so dramatic. Like she's Sierjna is super like. Extra. She's very, very dramatic mm-hmm. in this whole scene. And so Stark's madness is couched in this beautiful, like, escalated uh, 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 drama. Yes, he can't move. He has, like, very limited control over Talon at this point, And he's watching the exchange between uh, Maquilas and uh, Shershna. He wants to stay, and then he offers them to, to go. Oh, no, that comes later. Sorry. No, but I, I know what you mean. It's tough to keep the sort of order in play because all of these scenes are... You know how you have dance fights? Yeah. This is gesture fighting between <laughs> between Stark and, and, and like who can do Yes, but I'm flying and flailing my arms. Yes, yes but, but I my have claws. Fingertips glow and I can get them right up to the camera. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes, there's a lot of that going on. Poor Crace, poor everyone at this point. Oh, yes, this is where uh, John and Aaron managed to uh, to resist their urges because oh, Stark He's sort of given up. Now that Muquillus has uh, Sierjna again, he falls into a deep funk that he's failed everyone, that mm. he's failed them again. He doesn't believe that anyone can help Talon. We're all going to die. And for a brief moment, John and Aaron decide, well, we might as well go out with a bang. Yes. And then they go, wait, that's not who we are. No, let's, we, don't we, give we, up. we don't give up. We keep on fighting, yeah. And I think never give up, never surrender. And I think that's when he says, I love you. And she yeah. says, she says it back. Because that's, yeah, that's how they've made it this far. Yep, that's, and they keep on fighting. All we can do now is wait. I'm not letting you go. I'm never letting you go. Wait a microd. Why? This is wrong. God, the mist, the damn mist is messing with our heads. That's why we're giving up. I'm not giving up. I never give up. Okay, I'm gonna go to the bridge. I'm gonna tear it apart. I'm gonna find something. Okay, the same with Crace and Stark. You tear them apart, baby. All right, listen. Huh? I don't want to lose you either. Can we definitely get back to that later? Oh, God, I love you. I love you too. There's a final showdown with Muquillus, I believe, at this point, who again tries to convince them that they are uh, basically done for. Yeah, and now it's sort of a battle of wills. No, that's not the way to say it. It's a therapy session because John is on the bridge talking to Stark, mm-hmm. trying to talk him into like releasing some control because earlier on 
he was zeroing in on what he thought was Mukwilis's power source. Yes. So they might have a weapon against him, some solution out of here, but they couldn't continue that line of uh, investigation because Stark took over. Yeah. But Stark is uh, he's stuck in this honestly highly relatable spiral of self-recrimination mm-hmm. and self-doubt and that Zan died. Um, John immediately, like initially sort of rejects him. You want to go down memory lane now? Okay, fine. And then he joins him. He starts off with, yeah, we met my side, your side, my side, your side. Also very gesticulating. Yes. Until he he manages to connect with Stark by by summoning the memory of Zan, whom Stark feels that he uh, that he failed, and John says Zan would be hugely disappointed in you now, because Aaron is my Zan and you are killing my Zan. That makes Stark realize that he is in fact being a little bit silly. Yeah, and that he needs to get a grip and start working for everybody everybody else's benefit. Now I do love that it's not effortless at this point because no. he releases the control they uh, zero in on the power source they start aiming the cannon which they They're, need which need to be priming which is more sexual innuendo between Aaron and <laughs> <laughs> I can manually prime the cannon I'd love to see that Talon's cannon I'm stoked not stupid uh, yes Zan is speaking through me <laughs> right now <laughs> and she makes that oh, face at John like it's worth a shot yeah <laughs> yes that's an interesting, like, choice for uh, Aaron to uh, go with such a obvious, well, f- fib, I suppose. Yeah, but I guess she knows what uh, it's Stark is sensitive. What, what Stark is sensitive for there too. So, yes, this this has she has talked about how people can change and transform because mm-hmm. John finally called her out. Hey. You're a tech now. Yes, right? I love that. Like, oh, for someone who looked down on tech work, you're doing pretty good now. Finally! Yes. <laughs> and she said, she owns it. Yeah, people can change. Yeah. She's not so good with the sort of providing counsel and therapy, but it's worth yeah, a shot. Working on that. Stark buys it, and they uh, they take aim. Now Mukwilis shows up to make a final case for himself and goes, hey. Stop what you're doing. Is there some kind of stupid alien quotation book you guys use? A deal between us can be brokered. Lava Boy, you are losing. A compromise assures your survival. Yeah, guys, guys yeah, why don't we like like have a deal? Yeah, why don't you, you guys just leave and I'll let you go and uh, bye. Yeah, so you want to exchange our freedom for your freedom, which we would get anyway. And then she asks, and what, asks, and what about the other uh, Leviathans that you were, are luring in here? Because we've basically learned that this, uh, that Muquillus is sitting there in the star, luring in Leviathans because he was hired to do so by an, a race of other shipbuilders who think that Leviathans are like bad for their business. And therefore, the more Leviathans disappear, the more yeah. ships they can sell. Weird how space economics work, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's sort of... It could just be of some petty rivalry, you know, it's like... Probably, but do we know how Leviathans, like, normally enter service? We know that they're enslaved by peacekeepers. Yeah. They're, they're sort of hunted. And I suppose and- they reproduce normally. As they, right? We had, the, we had the Welsh uh, Caligua, who was uh, <laughs> the representative of the builders, I believe <laughs> yes. they were called. Very good. An enigmatic and godlike species. Godlike aliens. Man, do I hate godlike aliens. I'll trade a critter for a godlike alien any day. Yes, who apparently created the Leviathans and then just like mostly leave them alone. As, I mean, that's really the provenance of most gods. 
And Muquillis answers, what do you care? Well, that was the wrong answer, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was, the, we, they do in fact care. They fire the cannon right into the sun. They hit the energy base, wherever it is that Mukulis is living from, or at least doing the whole siren song of the sun. And he sort of solidifies and cracks and shatters. It's a beautiful effect. Yeah, His he, head goes first. He basically goes all blue and, yeah, it's like white light ice effect of him yeah. breaking down. And that's interesting because, like, the opposite happens with uh, Shearsna, who, when uh, Stark takes off his mask and helps her move over to the other side, she goes red. That's right. So there's like they do a little Whoa. color. They do a little color flip uh, at the end. It is red versus blue. Yep. Well done. <laughs> the crisis is resolved. Crace tends to uh, Stark and yep. cuts the uh, the bonds loose. He says that cradle was designed for no species other than pilots. pilots. And yeah, it's a miracle it even worked. And it was like a really stupid, dangerous thing to do. Speaking of danger, Stark tells Crace that he knows how Talon feels. Yeah, about everybody. And Crace gets a little... Nervous. Yeah, that knife comes, uh, <laughs> comes up. That's probably a... That's not going to come back at all now. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Rigel comes to the bridge now that his uh, his, his, his insatiable hunger has finally sort of stopped. Yes, he can go, like, throw up and sleep, I believe. It's just the two things that he wants to do most. John and Aaron realize, well... Crace probably needs another arm to uh, disentangle Stark. Which gives us a little bit of free time. And you see there's a hand reaching for the big red button that closes the door to the... uh, Both of their hands together, linked together so romantically, just shutting the door, and they christen the command. (laughs) With talent watching, I suppose. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Oh, that's not going to, like... I mean, Talon doesn't like John still, and he still does like Eren. So I guess, like, maybe he's getting a little bit of stepfather syndrome towards John even more. It's like... Oh, it really is, isn't it? It would be hilarious if ever uh, John made a comment about, like, well, I banged your mom or something. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we've made it through in record time. Yes. I mean, in all honesty, the plot is... Not very complicated or thick. There's a lot of uh, character interaction, but yeah. not a lot of character development. So, yes, I think that's fair to say because everything that that people do is, I mean, it's chemically it's, motivated. Yes, but it was already there. Right. Yeah. You know, absolutely. it's not being uh, it's not being triggered or prompted by anything that's happening. It's just being magnified. Yeah. The effect of the gas just makes everybody. It makes crisis desperate, like, I'm the captain here, yeah. uh, more. It makes Rigel eat even more than he does, so it turns the lovey-dovey between Aaron and John up to 11. Yes. Uh, and, <laughs> and Stark, yeah, he does his thing. He has his rock opera that he, he always does. wanted. Yes. This is kind of cool, actually. This is the thing we, we get to see what Stark does. He finds lost, yeah. wandering spirits and helps them move on. This is literally what a Bannock, what, what a, not, oh. a Bannock is a species. There's a, there's a name for his... A stikera. Stikera, what, yeah. what they do. So we, I, I really like that. We get to see that. That's awesome. See, this is why I love watching this show with you, man. You give me these, <laughs> these pearls of, of insight that after years and years and years of fandom, uh, there's still more to discover. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that actually reminds me that there was a moment that I was kind of unhappy about where Crace talks about Stark as the Bannock slave, yes. which is hugely inappropriate and uh, honestly kind of vulgar. Mm-hmm. But gosh, it's a really fun episode. And, and so far, the standalone episodes in this season have been on Moya. Yes. And right? This was, yeah, this was just a bottle episode on, on Talon. Talon. Yeah. Now, Interesting, I yeah. 
I hadn't really sort of stood still and 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 regarded it like that. But you know how they always have like a, a, a serialized and plot advancing mm-hmm. episodes and more standalone episodes. And yeah, it's been really divided. Well, except for the bits with Scorpius and on the yes, uh, but that was inter- that was literally that was a Scorpius episode. That wasn't a Moya episode, really. Yes, actually, and one that you could potentially miss yeah, and still kind of, and you haven't lost out on anything. No, very true. So yeah, she gives me a Woody. Because you, well, yeah. there was a lot of that going on in this episode. Yes, I think this is the most appropriate that this segment has has ever ever been. Ever been. So, oh, let's see where to go. Ooh. I think we need to do it twice. Oh, oh. well, <laughs> once for our usual standard. Like, what was your sort of favorite? Uh, what was your favorite bit? Mm-hmm. And then also just a hornometer. Oh, okay. Yeah. How about that? So, ooh, let's see. I mean, I I really dug the, but that I think that goes on the hornometer. That like the interaction between uh, John and Aaron that was just like so well done. It's like yeah. the, the, them, them playing around like rutty teenagers, just like making their way around the ship and constantly sneaking off and yeah, trying to get their uh, grind on. I'll just say, uh, no, yeah, they were constantly dry humping, and I really like that. And also, like from a. Like from the filmmaking point of view, like they they are actors, and Ben Browder is married and has children yeah. at this point, and I think Claudia Black was single at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if she was uh, if she was even interested, but like they're they were very good friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they seemed to be very good friends, <laughs> yeah. as the as the meme said. They knew each other's boundaries. They knew what they could uh, what they could do together. Yes, as a like that takes a lot of trust to be comfortable with that and to yes, I suppose so. Well, yeah. I mean, at this point, they've known each other for, like, what, three years, I guess? Yeah. But I think the... So your standard Woody goes to... No, okay, so my standard Woody, I think, goes to, as I just said, to Stark's story arc. The fact that we get to see a little bit of what he does and how he goes about his business when he's, like, rescuing souls and bringing them on. I thought that was, like... Like you said, it's like it's an arc that none of the others know anything about. Yeah, they didn't even know that she was there. Or did they get to see? No, they don't even get to see her in the end, do they? No, no. nobody sees her. No, nobody even knows that that's what he's doing. He doesn't tell anyone. Well, no. I mean, Stark does tell them, but well, I mean, he doesn't even tell Rigel when he's in the room with Rigel and her. He's it... mostly talking to her. Yeah. Yes. No, absolutely. So yeah, I, 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 oh, I thought I like that was that. I thought that was like a great arc. Yeah, Willie's always tricky. Willie's the- well, it's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'll have, I'll have to say like the Buck Rogers look of uh, the, Fair. The, the boudoir of the uh, pilot, <laughs> the pilot boudoir done in the draconian flagship style. That's fair, <laughs> and that's like not even a will. It's just like a choice of style, I suppose, I which yeah. I not necessarily agree with. My Woody's actually going to go to the uh, the opening fake out flashback. Oh yes, that was fantastic. Which I, I remember just. Wow. I was literally sitting there going, oh, really? Are you going to do this? Is this the way it's going to go? And And then then he barrels (laughs) the camera? Yes. (laughs) That's how you do it. Yeah, that was really good. And my wheelie is probably going to go to a few of the, uh, I mean, a few of the the sort of insensitive remarks by Crace, which are, you know, in character. Mm. Uh, 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 So it doesn't fully count as a wheelie. No. But there was nothing else that I, oh, actually... Yes, let me. My standard willy will go to that. The sort of main plot is not really clarified or resolved. Like, we don't actually know Mukwillis's motivations. We only know what Sierzna said. And well, we can. Right. We don't have reason to assume it's not true. 
the whole thing with the ships. I mean, it's a kind of weird story, I'll give you that. But yeah. there's no reason to assume that that's not actually what's going on. I wonder if maybe originally there was more of that, because this episode went through like an 11th hour re-edit. Mm-hmm. When the episode was cut together, then uh, Ian Barry, the director, and Ben Browder and Claudia Black were, were watching it, and they, they realised like the it escalated too quickly in the original cut. As David Kemper said that... At this sort of tempo, unless they wanted to stagnate in the first act, then they would have had to be, like, having an orgy on top of the Empire State Building by the third act. Yes. And so it was heavily re-edited to make that escalation, that mounting escalation, if I may. Yes. (laughs) And I shall work a bit better. Well, there could have been a little bit more resolve what was going on between uh, Mukwillis and uh, Shirshna. Right, yes. That, that There could have been a little bit more play in between yeah, the relationship they had other than that she was his captive and he was just sitting there luring in Leviathans. The episode wouldn't necessarily have become better by that. It might, in fact, have been a, a, a distraction. Yeah. Right, so it's a tentative, Willie. Really. Okay. Now, if we break out the hornometer, well, what's I mean, the... the hornometer goes like to up to eleven for. Uh... Yeah, but is it constant? I mean, imagine oh. that you're you're taking that sensor stick which just has a bunch of LEDs on yeah. it, and you're pointing it over this episode. Like, where have you? Where have it's you definitely that scene where they're like, "Are you close yet? Like, are you getting that? <laughs> are you? Huh? Tell me when you're about to finish." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you could see that the actors, everybody was channeling some personal experiences oh, yes. there. <laughs> oh, actually, mine's the uh, the hallway when they're when uh-huh. they're guarding the uh, the control node, and she just casually like cowgirls, and uh, no, I'm still doing my job. Okay, you comfortable? Mm-hmm. Not the uh, accidental dropping of the wrench and then bending over at the waist. Oh. <laughs> I was a little bit too coquettish. That didn't feel like it like should, Aaron. It, it should have. It should have been soap. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of Willies, and that's the. Oh no! You say it first. And that's, that's the story, story so, so far. far okay, there we go. There we go. Uh, join us next week for episode three thirteen, uh, Scratch and Sniff, Ooh. where Farscape goes lock, stock, and two smoking pulse pistols in a colorful tale of a drunken caper gone pear shaped. <laughs> Wow. That sounds amazing. Looking forward to it already. You can find us at SoFarscape on Facebook and Twitter. All of our links are now on SoFarscape.com slash links. That's where you can send us your submissions for uh, synopses. Please do. We always need those. And we've gotten so many bangers. It's fantastic. A high bar. I really really enjoy that part of the show, uh, uh, reading out the amazing things that the... It's uh, such a treat. It is, because it's like, yeah, it lets them see what they were thinking of the episode and how they just like cleverly worded it. And just reading those out just after we watch the episode is amazing. You can also submit suggestions for fanfics. We've got a few suggestions that we're going to 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 get to. They tend to be uh, uh, on the shorter side, so we've got to work out how we do that. Actually, next week we've got a bit of a treat that I'll uh, surprise you with. And if you want to help keep the lights on, the blinking LED lights at SoFarscape Studios, you can sign up for a Patreon at SoFarscape.com slash links. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. SoFarscape's so good. good.